Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. We've been going through the book of Isaiah, and we have seen time and time again about how God is announcing to them, has been announcing to them prophetically, his judgment. In large part, the reason for the judgment was because of their um, rebellion against God and because of their idolatry. We've seen it time and time again. And, and so this morning, we're actually going to pause for a moment in this study, still in Isaiah, and, and revisit this whole subject of idolatry. All right? You, you okay with that? We all know that while we may not have idols lying around in our homes or on our shelves or in our uh, yards or anything like that, like perhaps the ancients did, we still struggle and deal with idols, don't we? Yeah, they, they are in our lives and they do present problems for us. And so we want to talk about that. When you stop and think about it, idolatry, worshiping something other than the Lord, is, is really a pretty messed up, disturbing, evil thing. I mean, really. It is, is it any wonder that it is completely and totally unacceptable in the Lord's sight? <laughs> only the, the living and true God is the only one worthy, right, of our praise and our worship. He's the creator of the universe with his hundreds of billions of stars and galaxies out there. I mean, the vastness of our universe, the complexity of our human bodies. Just as we used to say back in the day, like back in my day anyway, just blows our minds. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Considering God's creation and the salvation that he has provided for the human race, is it at the, isn't it, is it at the core of it all? At the core of it all inconceivable how anyone could put anything or anyone in front of and therefore deny the supremacy of the one true living God. It just doesn't make sense, does it? And yet you and I know we battle with it on a regular basis. Throughout our study in Isaiah, as I said, we've seen it time and time again. We're going to park for a moment and talk about it, even as it would relate to our own lives and the truth of the matter is, although we may have not have literal idols, we do have our idols. Isaiah had already foretold that Babylon would be the agent of judgment that God had pronounced upon Israel. But in Isaiah 46, there's your cue, the prophet reveals that the Lord would eventually judge Babylon, not only because of its cruelty and wickedness, but also because of their false gods and because of their idolatry and that which they practice as citizens of Babylon. Despite the people's crying out to their gods, he's letting them know, for deliverance, the great empire, the empire of Babylon, would come down. It would fall. The idols in which the people had put their trust in would be helpless, completely unable to save or to deliver them. And so in chapter 46, the first thing that we want to notice in the first couple of verses that we see in what's showing us is idolatry's ultimate fate. 
Look at the first couple with me. Bel bows down. Nebo stoops low. Their idols are borne by beasts of burden. The images that are carried about are burdensome, a burden for the weary. They stoop and bow down together. Unable to rescue the burden, they themselves go off into captivity. The Babylonians probably, I have no doubt whatsoever, easy for me to imagine that when they were conquering and experiencing success after success after success in their warring effort dominating nations, I'm sure they gave all of the credit to their false gods. Don't you think? Can you imagine? Thank you, Bell. Praise you, Nebo, for the victory you have brought to us. Of course, they were completely wrong, weren't they? Maybe at the time, obviously at the time, they had no idea God was behind the whole thing, the one true God. But they were so wrong, as they would find out, and of course the hard way, that their gods, their idols turned out to be absolutely powerless over their enemies, eventually stooping and bowing down in total defeat. Their gods were false, and so therefore could not help them, could not meet their needs. Their false gods could not carry the people through their fiery trials. Bel, actually is a term here meaning Lord, was another name for Marduk, the chief god of the Babylonians. Baal was the same false god that the Canaanites worshipped. You've heard of him. It's also pronounced Baal, but it's spelled B-A-A-L. The other chief god of Babylon, Nebo, was thought to be Baal's son. In fact, if you recall some of the names of the leaders of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, and it went on and on, it was because of this god that they worshipped. He was worshipped as the god of fate, wisdom, writing, learning, and even science. Worshippers of these other gods would transport them on carts. Can you imagine loading up the one true living creator god up onto a cart and hauling him around? Kind of stupid, right? Ridiculous. But this is what they're doing with their gods. Load up on carts, pull them by oxen, horses, donkeys, whatever. In other words, they, they would have to carry their gods even into captivity, making them, therefore, a burden. Is our one true living God a burden? No. He is the burden carrier, isn't he? The burden reliever. Worshippers of these other gods would transport them that way, and they would become burdensome to them. You see, this is idolatry's ultimate fate. No matter what the idol is, it can only and will only lead to defeat. That's all that it can do. can never bring joy, never bring victory, anything that our God brings to our lives. It leads to defeat. It'll lead to bondage, leads to slavery. It is doomed from the get-go. Idolatry is. The Babylonians' problem was the same, actually, as Israel's problem. They were very religious, extremely devoted to their so-called gods. But it was a very misguided devotion, a deceptive devotion that would lead and guide them to where they did not want to be, utter 
defeat. The Israelites had a problem of mixing into their worship of Jehovah, the worship of other gods. We would sit here and say, seriously, who would do that? And it had been a problem for the Israelites for a really long time. When you get to Joshua, and at the end of Joshua, chapter 24, there's a verse there that we all know and love. But what is happening, actually happening there in that final chapter of Joshua is what is known as a, a covenant renewal ceremony taking place. It is actually also at the end of Joshua's life, and he's wanting to reiterate and renew this covenant that God had been making with Abraham and with Moses and with the people of Israel moving in to the promised land. Uh, let me just quickly just show you this in Joshua 24. The first verse starts off this way. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and all the officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to the people, and then... He reiterates the covenant. Then when you get to verse 14, it says, Now fear the Lord, Joshua speaking to the people, and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. And then the verse we all know, but as for me, we, referring to his family, will serve the Lord. Now, the next verse I am kind of retranslating, basically it finds them responding to Joshua. Amen, brother. We're with you. We're totally in. 100%. We want to serve the Lord too. But then Joshua responds and says, Oh, it's kind of like, I, I, I wish you could. I wish you would. But Joshua realizes it's just idle talk. <laughs> because he knew that back in their tents... And within their very own possessions were idols that they had been also worshiping, mixing into their worship of Jehovah. They were talking the talk, but were not prepared to walk the walk. Let me, let me show you something that I, Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, wrote about with regards to, to idols. Listen to what he says. He says, Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts, and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. In other words, they brought into their lives that which will cause them to do evil and sin. Stumbling blocks. Should I let them inquire of me at all? Therefore, speak to them and tell them. This is what the sovereign Lord says. When any of the Israelites set up idols in their hearts and put a wicked stumbling block before their faces and then go to a prophet... I, the Lord, will answer them myself in keeping with their great idolatry. I will do this. And notice what he says. Again, redemptive 
compassionate heart of God. I'm just going to stop there. I will do this, and we'll come back to that in a second. I want to make sure you understand what's happening here. Ezekiel, God speaking through Ezekiel, is saying, if there's an idol in your heart, and you go to the Lord, oh, you'll hear a voice, all right. <laughs> and, and you're going to think that it's the voice of God, but because the idol is in your heart and it has become important to you, kind of moved God off the throne, whether we want to admit it or not, you'll hear a voice, but it's going to be the voice of an idol. And you'll think it's the voice of God. That's what, that's what Ezekiel's telling us. How could it be that a person could go to someone, look at them straight in the eye and say, God has told me such and such, and you know it is completely contrary to God's word. This is how. Because of an idol. Because of idolatry. Somehow being harbored in our heart. Back to verse 5. I will do this to recapture the hearts of the people of Israel. Is our God a good God or what? I will do this to capture the heart of Israel who have deserted me for their idols. You've heard me say this time and time again over the years. And here it is again. Sin just makes us stupid. <laughs> Idolatry is just stupid. Amen. So guys, gals, church, stay away from idols in any way, shape, or form. Now, I'm not talking about statues here. I'm talking about passions and compromises, flirting with stuff that you know is not right. They will lie to you and tell you that you're in God's will, but you'll be deceived, disgraced, and carried away captive into a foreign place into a place that, or a situation in which you do not want to be. Just like the Israelites. Just like the Babylonians. Now let's go back to Isaiah. And pick it up at verse 3 and 4 now. It says, listen to me, you descendants of Jacob, all the remnant of the people of Israel, you whom I have upheld since your birth and have carried since you were born. Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you, and I will carry you. I will sustain you, and I will rescue you. Once again, who would want to turn to a lifeless, worthless, powerless idol? But we do sometimes, don't we? Ah. Note God's admonition to us here. Listen to me. Listen to him. For he had a wonderful promise for Israel. It's for us as well. In particular, for those who truly believe and follow him. The Israelites were God's creation, both as individuals and as a nation. And so from their very conception, the Lord is letting them know, reminding them that he has completely, fully taken care of them. From the day of their birth, he had carried them, nurtured them. Remember that Israel's birth as a nation took place 
when God delivered them from their slavery in Egypt and when the law of God, the Ten Commandments, were given to them at Mount Sinai. Down through the centuries, the Lord had always looked after, had always protected His people. He had always been nothing but faithful, even when they were unfaithful. Going off with other gods, He remained faithful, and He does to us. Amen. Even in times of disaster and chastisement, the Lord was looking after His people. He was using the discipline to correct them, lest they bring further harm to themselves and those who were around them and others. Although the discipline sometimes seemed oppressive, sometimes appeared quite destructive, the Lord had always brought His people through the harsh ordeals. Amen? There's not a time or incident or event recorded for us in God's Word where He did not do that. Laying out for them redemptively, redemptively, the opportunity to both turn to Him and repent. In verse 4, God is letting His people know that He would always be with them. And for some of us, this is extra special, even to our old age. <laughs> Hallelujah, right? Even to our old age. So glad. He is the Lord, and He is the everlasting God, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Therefore, He would continue to carry His people through all of their hardships. He would sustain them. Hold them up and give them strength to walk through all the trials, through all the temptations in the present and even in the future. Just as he has done for the believers of the past, so he will do for the believers of the present. And he will continue to do so for the believers in the future. He's got this, folks. Amen. He is so for us. The Lord will protect, He will guide, He will provide whatever we need throughout all of life, even through our season of gray hair, <laughs> aching bones, and memory lapses. In other words, to our old age, He promises, I love this, He promises to remember His promises, <laughs> even when we forget. He promises to remember His promises. He will always be there. I'm so glad our God is not burdensome. I'm so glad He doesn't need to be carried around. Can you imagine loading up the creator of the universe? <laughs> Come on, God. Hook up my donkey. <laughs> Here we go. He is the one who carries us. And aren't we glad? Aren't we thankful? And here's another thing I'm also thankful for, and you will be too. No one will ever carry him off into captivity. Amen. Woo. Let's look at an honest comparison that's being given to us now, beginning in verse 5. With whom will you compare me or count me equal? <laughs> to whom will you liken me that we may 
be compared. Some pour out gold from their bags, weigh out silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith to make it into a god. They bow down and worship it. They lift it to their shoulders and carry it. They set it up in its place, and there it stands. And from that spot, I love this. you got to pick up on what being said here. It cannot move. Aren't you glad our God is a moving God? <laughs> it cannot move. Even though someone cries out to it, it cannot answer. It cannot save them from their trouble. False gods, this might come across as maybe the understatement of the century. False gods are worthless. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> For they are unable to help their followers, powerless to save their worshipers. In verses 5 through 7, we're given some, some pretty interesting facts that prove this. First, idols are not like the Lord nor equal to the Lord. Verse 5 tells us that. As the living and true God, the Lord is the one who is able to keep his people, to strengthen them to whatever comes towards them. And secondly, in verse 6, let us know that, that an honest, realistic evaluation of idols revealed that every idol had this beginning in people's thoughts. Our Bible lets us know that God in the beginning was, right? He is, he was, and will always be. But for an idol, it's, where is it created? First of all, it's created, problem number one, right? Secondly, it gets created in, within the mind of fallible human. Problem two, if you stop and think about it. When people conceive an idea of who God is and what he does, a God is born in their minds, and sadly, most people worship the gods of their own imaginations rather than the Lord. It is God who is the creator. We are not the creator. Another thing we notice here, idols are only material objects that are made by mere humans. Thought up here, also made then and created by humans. Verse 7 lets us know some cases craftsmen manufacture an idol out of gold or silver and people bow down and worship it. But today, most people worship the idols of their own thoughts We've got all kinds of idol worship going on, don't we? Celebrity worship, movie stars, athletes, sports. A lot of us struggle with this box that sits in our homes that can be a really big idol. We call it TV. Wealth, possessions, comfort, a life of ease, just to list a few. The list could go on and on. A person's idol is whatever receives the primary devotion and commitment of that person's heart, whatever consumes that person's life. The Lord, the true and living God, demands our highest devotion. Can I say that again? The Lord, the one and only true living God, demands and should always have all of our devotion, our highest devotion and commitment, the best of our time, the best of our strength, the best of our energy, the best of everything we have to offer. Amen. To Him and to Him alone. If we give our greatest devotion, commitment, time, and energy to anything else, something else, 
replace that thing ahead of God. If a person or thing, not the Lord, becomes first in our lives, therefore it is an idol, an object of our own creation that we find ourselves, whether we like to admit or not, worshiping because of its, the capacity it's taken over in our hearts and in our lives. Another thing we notice, idols are unable to carry people through life. We've already seen that. Instead, they have to be carried. Consider any of the idols that we've already mentioned or anything that hasn't mentioned. In all cases, idols have to be carried by their creators, therefore become quite burdensome. That's the problem. In other words, so the problem is those gods become burdens, and if your God is pleasure, then you will be burdened with lust. If your God is money, you will be in bondage to greed. If your God is your intellect, you're going to be weighed down with pride. In other words, and we, another thing we notice that idols, as we've noticed here, they can't move. <laughs> they have no ability to move. They exist only in the mind of the worshiper or else at the spot where they've been placed. <laughs> Lifeless and immobile. Idols are not able to help God protect or provide or do anything. And then sixthly, idols cannot answer people. Isn't it crazy? If someone talking to a statue, talking to an idol that they've made up in their heads, talking to it as if it's going to respond, as if it's going to answer in some kind of positive way, as if it's going to provide help. No idol can save anybody. Can't do you much good when you're facing the problems that you face. No matter how much people pray or how loudly they cry out in distress, idols cannot answer. Remember the story of Elijah taking on the prophets of Baal? Wasn't that, isn't that great? I love that story. They gather all their stuff together, and then it tells us there in 1 Kings chapter 18 that they begin to call out to God, answer us, answer us. They, you know, their voices get louder and louder, and it even tells us they begin to cut themselves, trying to get his attention, trying to get him to move to them, to answer them. And then a little bit later in that chapter, Elijah says, taunts them. Well, maybe he can't hear you. Maybe he's gone on a break. In any case, there is no answer. <laughs> I love that. Listen to what the message says and how it puts verse 7 here from Isaiah 46. They carry it around in holy parades, then take it home and put it on a shelf. And there it sits, day in and day out, a dependable God always Right where you put it. Woo! <laughs> Say anything you want to it. It never talks back. <laughs> kind of like our pets, huh? I like what one friend told me when he was a single man. He let what he loved about his dog. It never complained about how late he got home. <laughs> they never talk back. Of course, it never does anything else either, right? There it sits. Idols cannot deliver. They cannot rescue. They are worthless. 
in the things that truly matter in life and in eternity. They're useless to their worshipers in the day of trial, in the day of adversity, or even tragedy. But our God, is he not everything? And nothing is impossible for him. Amen? Nothing. Look at verse 8 with me now. It says, remember this. Keep it in mind. Take it to heart. <laughs> Look what he says. You rebels. <laughs> God issues a strong appeal and warning to all idolaters. They must immediately take the steps that God's presenting here for them so that they might become acceptable to him in order to escape his judgment that's coming at them. First of all, idolaters must remember that they're sinners. The term rebel, that's what it means. Rebels before God. Note that God himself is still speaking here. It is God who calls idolaters rebels. A serious charge, folks, not to be taken lightly. Would you agree? During Isaiah's day, idolatry was so widespread, it included most of the Israelites. Practically every Israelite professed to believe in the Lord, and in their own minds they were thinking and that they were worshiping the Lord, but what they were really worshiping was their own idea of who God was, of who God is. They rejected God's righteousness, actually is what they were doing, and His holy commandments Guilty of picking and choosing which they would do and which they would reject. We cannot do that, church. Amen? We must take in God's whole counsel, all of his commands. We can't pick and choose. So they rejected these things and instead and in order that they might could live however it is they wanted to live. Immorally and in the process, wickedly rejecting the one true God. Most of the Jews followed a religion, as I said a little while ago, that mixed the worship of God in with the worship of idols. They accepted only part of God's revelation of himself, rejecting his righteousness and his demand for them to live righteously. As a result, their religion became a mixture of the truth along with error. And although they, can, although they considered themselves to be followers of the Lord, they had become nothing more than idolaters. Rejecting God's full revelation of himself, they became rebels. And the, the evidence of that is judgment has come on them because of that. There was no denying that fact. We find a second step in verses 9 through 11. He says, remember the former things... Those of long ago, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. From the east I summon a bird of prey, from a far off land a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said that I will bring about what I have planned, that I will do. Idolaters must remember God's works down through history. 
for his former works prove that he is the Lord, the only living and true God. And so time and time again, the Lord has demonstrated to them, they need to recall to mind the very things that he has done for them throughout history. He's demonstrated his existence and his power throughout time, beginning with creation. He demonstrated his power in the great flood of Noah's day, in the deliverance of Israel from Egyptian slavery, in the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, in the choosing of Abraham to be the father of several great nations, but especially in the promised seed which would be fulfilled in Christ and in those who would become his followers, us. These are just a few of the amazing works of God that idolaters need to call back to mind. They need to bring back into the memories for God's mighty deeds prove his existence. They prove his power. This is God saying, show me an idol who can even come close to comparing to what I've done. From the beginning of human history, God has revealed the truth to the world, foretold important future events, even those that will take place at the end of the world, still out in front of us, which no idol can do, no idol has ever been able to do. Seeing God's hand in the past, church, should encourage us to seek Him in the present and to trust Him for our future. The bird of prey mentioned in verse 11 from a far off land was actually a direct reference once again to Cyrus, king of Persia, whom God would use, who would, God would raise up for two specific purposes, to execute the Lord's judgment on Babylon, whom God had used to execute judgment on Israel, right? And to free his people from the Babylonian captivity. There it is. To give full assurance, God gave a double guarantee to what he is saying to his promise. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. Oh, how I have put it over the years is, you can take that to the bank. <laughs> you can count on it for sure. The third step we find in verses 12 to 13, listen to me, you stubborn hearted, you who are now far from my righteousness. I am bringing my righteousness near. It is not far away. And my salvation will not be delayed. He's referring to judgment there, but notice it's righteous judgment. It will not be delayed. I will grant salvation to Zion. Again, referring to the captivity being released, the captives being released. I will give my splendor to Israel. Our God is a good, compassionate, redemptive God. Amen. Idolaters must listen to the Lord. Why? Because idolaters are being told that they're stubborn here. Got to listen up. And although they profess to know the Lord, they are actually worshiping idols, the creation of their thoughts, the figment of their own imaginations. They are not living lives of righteousness. They are being told by God himself. By obeying the commandments of God, they are not doing. Instead of living moral and pure lives, outline for them, for us in God's word, 
they had morally, spiritually, behaviorally gone way off the reservation. God wants idolaters. He warns idolaters. And they must listen. For they have become stubborn, half-hearted, hard-hearted, and far from his righteousness. The question we want to ask ourselves this morning is in any way, shape, or form, have you drifted off the reservation with regards to any way, shape, or form of idolatry in our hearts? Have you been living with a foot in the world and a foot in the church and foot in Christ? Are there these things, are there things that have, that have nudged the Lord off of the throne of your heart? What is the conviction of your heart today? I want to finish up today with a story that's been around actually since the fourth century. <laughs> it's an old story, obviously. And some of you maybe have heard it, but probably been a long, long time. It was recorded, an event that was recorded in the year 320, and it's known as the, the Brave Soldiers of Sebast. 1,700 years ago, the pride of the Roman army, the 12th Legion, was stationed at Sebas, just south of the Black Sea. It was midwinter, and a harsh order uh, had just come by messenger from the capital at Constantinople. Reigning as emperor at this time was Valerius Licinius, whose vicious hate for Christianity had caused the death of untold thousands of martyrs. Snow was falling as the emperor's new order was read to the soldiers standing at attention. Under penalty of death, read the commander, all members of the Roman army must at once offer sacrifices to the emperor and acknowledge him as the one true God. No one blinked an eye. They were Roman soldiers, the most highly disciplined in the world. But every mind immediately went to the 40 among their ranks who were Christians. The same thought went through each soldier's mind. The Christians will never sacrifice to the emperor. They will never desert their God. As soon as the soldiers were dismissed, a captain came to the commander's tent and announced that there were 40 soldiers who would not perform the sacrifice to the emperor. They were immediately arrested and put in the jail and in the custody of Aglius, the chief, the chief jailer, who marched him off to military court. The commander opened the trial's formalities by saying, of all the soldiers who serve the empire, more and no one is more and more loved than you. Do not turn our love and respect into hate and contempt. How important can this Jesus be? Bow down to the emperor, and this will all be over. But the leader of the 40 said firmly, The word of God says, You shall not have no other gods before me. We have made our choice. We will not sacrifice to the emperor. We will devote our love and our living to our God. 
Because he did not have the authority to sentence the Christians to death, the commander had to wait for the arrival of the inspector general who would be making a visit to the 12th legion in about a week. The Christians were put in the custody of Agalius the jailer for that entire week. When the general came, he agreed with the decision of the commander and gave the Christians a choice. Worship the emperor or be delivered over to torture and death. The Christians remained firm. You can have our armor. You can have our names. But our choice is we prefer God. Then the soldiers heard their sentence. They were to be bound with strong rope and led to the shore of the nearby frozen lake. For at sundown, they were to be stripped and marched out to the middle of the ice. At any time, they could change their minds and, and go through the ritual of sacrifice to the emperor in a heated bathhouse that was located on the lake's shore. Aglius, the jailer, who had been caring for the soldiers for a week, watched as the soldiers were stripped and marched shivering onto the ice and into the darkness. Guards were posted around the shore to make sure that they did not try to escape. As they marched, though, they sang. Forty brave soldiers for Jesus. Forty brave soldiers for Christ. We will be true to our God and stare death in the face as we perish on this lake of ice. We'll be 40 brave soldiers for Christ. For a while, their sang echoed throughout the camp. But as the hour of midnight approached and as the temperatures began to continue to drop, their voices grew more and more weak. Then one of the 40 was seen emerging from the darkness. He was giving up. He was sacrificed to the emperor. He fell to his knees on the shore and began, began crawling to the bathhouse. Only Aglius, the jailer, was still awake to still hear the very thin, frail voices of the ones who were still out there on the ice. Thirty-nine brave soldiers for Christ. Aglius watched the man enter the bathhouse. He was there for a little bit and then he emerged, apparently overcome by the heat. And he saw the man collapse on the ground and, and just completely lie still. At that moment, something happened to the heart of Aglius, the jailer. What it was, only he and God will ever know. The guards reported hearing a great cry, which jerked them awake. Rubbing their eyes, they watched Aglius, the jailer, wrench off his armor, and the man ran out to the frozen lake, into the frozen lake, shouting, 40 brave soldiers for Jesus, 40 brave soldiers for Christ. <laughs> well, wow. I love that story. It says a lot of things to us, doesn't it? One, our world does not need to see professing followers of Christ being idolaters like they are. But what they do need is to see people who will stand firm, stare death in the face, and be true to their God and will not bow to any other, whatever that any other might be. And look at the impact that it has. 
what kind of impact are we having? May our hearts belong only, only, only to the one and only true and living God. you agree? Let that be our prayer as we are encouraged today to say no to idolatry in any way, shape, or form, and yes to Jesus. Fully, completely, our hearts His. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness, for your faithfulness to our lives. We've been reminded today how you remain faithful even when we are so unfaithful. You remain committed to us even when our commitment begins to, to vanish. You remain for us when we find ourselves living for ourselves. My prayer, God, it would be that for every single one of us, we will receive encouragement from the Holy Spirit today that we will even allow our hearts to be convicted if that is necessary to turn to you. And if repentance is what is required, then may there be repentance. And may the resolve of our heart be once again, only you, God, only you on the throne of my heart. There's none other like you. Help me, keep me from the subtlety and the deception of any kind of form of idolatry in my life. May we take this to heart and may we live it for the rest of our days. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up, lift up my heart.